We've all buried bodies in our lifetime, yeah. figuratively or literally for some, and no judgment. Um, but I, I think. Get older we, Robert, has anything happened there? Tell me about it. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to episode 46 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing, the F is for well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, editor of Rockstar CMO, your regular hit of marketing street knowledge. And this weekly podcast serves as my excuse to chat with my friends, marketers, writers, and CMOs I've met through my career leading marketing teams and consulting for B2B brands. You can find us at rockstarcmo.com and rockstarcmo on LinkedIn and Twitter. This episode was recorded on Friday the 22nd of January. It's been quite a week for my American friends. And wherever you are, I hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. We have another packed set list this week. Rockstar marketing advisor Jeff Clark joins me to discuss whether a marketing trend or technique is a one-hit wonder or wonder wall. I catch up with my chum, Cassie McKnight, to chat about marketing technology and some of the best practice in implementing it. And I again kick off my weekend with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Right, let's get started, shall we? On to our first segment. Marketers love to be down with the cool kids, don't we? Dancing to the latest sound, but will that tune stand the test of time? Each week, my chum, Jeff Clark, Rockstar CMO advisor and former Serious Decisions Forrester Research Director, joins me in deciding if that marketing tune, topic, technique or trend is a one-hit wonder or wonder wall. Let's find out what's hot or not this week. Welcome, Jeff, back to uh, One Hit Wonder and Wonderwall. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank Shall you for having me back. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. How's your week been? Week has been good. This yeah. is uh, inauguration week. So, yeah. you know, the turning of the pages and things like that. So yeah. uh, it's been very exciting here. Yeah, excellent. Well, I have got an, I'm going to come up with a topic this week. Um, and I've got an excellent one for you. How do you feel about growth? <laughs> Well, um, at, at, at about 6'3", I've been growing, uh, 6'3", I've been growing for uh, quite a long time now. Um, actually, I probably stopped growing at some point. But anyway, I don't want to get into the personal issues. But um, <laughs> All right. But, well, what, I, what I'm actually referring to is, I, um, and, I, and this comes from something I was reading. I was looking at LinkedIn, and I saw some ads for growth marketers. And I was thinking to myself, what's the difference between a growth marketer and a marketer? Because I believe that marketing is about creating growth and so i tweeted uh what's the difference between a growth master and growth and i got some really good responses and one of them was uh, from a chap called ollie sharman uh they're taller so that's, <laughs> <laughs> so that's an excellent uh, reference to your own height there so, so yeah, growth that's right. are, are taller that's yeah. right but so that's what right. do you think do we see what i want to ask you is do you i, think, I only i only hired marketers that were uh, above average height by the way, so. <laughs> I guess I ran growth marketing. <laughs> so, what's, so what's your view on the term growth marketing? And should we be sticking growth on the front of everything we say? 
And um, I think then we'll maybe we'll move on to the hacking term, but maybe maybe yeah. save that for, in a bit. So what do you think okay. of growth marketing? Well, I think it, it's um, it, it just um, it, it. I guess I always ruffle my at ruffle. That's is that the right term for it? Whatever. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to do. Where, things where where you know, it's like okay, let's insert a new term, and then the more you dig in it, you realize oh well, that's either what we've been doing all along mm-hmm. or or it's it's just trying to add something that's that spices it up. But yeah, but you know, I mean, marketing in general is this in support of the selling function and, and the selling function always wants to grow, you know, and um, that's just sort of part of the human nature of the, you know, sales and the biz- and people, the people running the business. Mm-hmm. Now you can have different strategies because you can have a strategy that's like, you know, for a particular segment of, of uh, customers, you're just in retention mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that might be fine, or you might be in a segment where it's, I mean, this is one of the things that we often try to, you know, sort out with, with clients in, um, in terms of their planning, you know, are in a particular segment, are you trying to grow? Are you trying to retain customers? Are you, are you trying to exit a market? Cause you might literally just, you're, you know, you've got a market segment and you're just trying to get out of it while you're trying to grow something else in the aggregate, you're trying to grow the company. Yes. But then if you break down to different strategies, it's not always about growth. And so therefore growth marketing, it it may be that, you know, we're in a, um, and this gets into the, the growth hacking concept is that we may be in a startup or we may be in something where mm-hmm. we're just totally focused on trying to accelerate growth as fast as possible. And I want people who, you know, kind of, you know, understand that have been in those situations, know how to do that type of so, so are you kind of defending it then? Do you think it's right for us if we're advertising for a marketer that we, that we make it clear that we're looking for a growth marketer? Because to me, it suggests that there's another kind of marketer. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I guess it, it is, you know, growth as a strategy uh, is, can certainly be appropriate, but um, I think all marketers need to be able to have the skills to mm-hmm. work, work among the different strategies and, and growth is what the company overall wants to do. So mm. I think, I think growth marketing is marketing. Mm. And one th- thought I had on this, and I've sort of talked about this in the past is, do you think that we as, that, that there are marketers, I don't want to say we, do you think there are marketers that have forgotten that's the role of marketing and have sort of hopped on the hamster wheel of execution and, and miss that kind of a higher goal for the company and not connected to that? Well, I definitely think there are marketers who, um, who, as you said, hopped on the execution hamster wheel. And it's like, they're only about executing a particular thing. And they're not thinking about the larger company strategy, which, you know, we actually, we talked about a couple, mm-hmm. a couple episodes ago. And mm-hmm. it's like, so if a marketer is not tied to the strategy and understanding what sales and product teams are trying to do, then, they're ultimately not going to be successful or they're going to be viewed only as execution yeah. experts. And yeah. in certain, you know, I think there's certain areas like, you know, like events or whatever, where, you know, people may be just comfortable doing their execution arm, um, yeah. but they're never going to get out of that. They're never going to, they're never going to grow themselves out of that mm-hmm. role. Uh, and they won't be viewed as vital to the company if they don't understand what the broader company strategy is, which mm-hmm. is typically, you know, in, unless you're in an exit mode, uh, mm-hmm. is typically focused on growth. Mm, do you, and do you, 
I mean, for me, I think all marketers should be focused on on growth. And I think it helps ask the right questions. I mean, even if you are, as you say, somebody who really enjoys putting on events and that has that real execution element to it, you know the structure of the event, you know what you need to do. Um, it's a real sort of project management type role and it's, it's quite rewarding for people. But still, if somebody asks you, um, we want to do a webinar next week or we want to do this event, if you're if you have a growth mindset, then you're like, how is this going to help? With the, or if you're hooked into the um, uh, the, the company goals, you're going to ask why, aren't you? Why? why? And yeah. and how am I going to be measured at, at the success? Yeah. Is the success for me getting new net new clients? Is it for making our existing clients feel better? Yeah. Is it you know are we so are we focused on retention? You you always want to be asking the why, yeah. and how am I going to be measured to be successful? Yeah, absolutely. Which gets back to the ultimately you know the how the goals of the company ladder down to yeah. every team and every individual. So this I mean because the last two we've talked about we talked about agile and we talked about digital and it's and digital marketing and it seems to me like both of those things really having a growth mindset is a competency that we need to bring as marketers. It doesn't define you as a marketer. Yes, right. And I think and I remember, you know, in terms of like digging into competencies, one of the, the areas um, we'd often identify is the business, you know, your business savvy. Yeah. So, you know, you, you've got a particular role in the company, but do you understand yeah. how to, how to um, determine what the company's strategies are and what your role in it that is? And, and, just, and not, not that you're trying to run the company, yeah. but you need to understand enough to say, yeah. you know, I, I understand what my part is. Yeah, yeah. And then you mentioned the word hacking. And I think this may be, I think maybe the term hack probably needs its own a segment on the show. But for me, <laughs> they, those two things seem to be synonymous. When people say growth, they say hacking. Um, I don't like the reference to hacking, partly because I hate the way that we keep picking up these terms from um, product development and from coding all the time and, and um, seem to get aligned to marketing. But the thing for, hack, for hack, hacking for me is finding a shortcut to do something that isn't, you know, structurally good or, or best practice or something. It's just you're trying to get somewhere as fast as you can without doing the hard work. Is that your interpretation of hacking? It's like, well, you don't want to do the hard work. You just want to get there really fast, but you and you don't really care about the structure you're putting in place around something. Well, my first my first reaction to the word hacking, having my my identity stolen for somebody to file unemployment claims uh, here, wow. and having to spend a day of you know of wow. making sure all my accounts were safe. Wow. Anytime the word hacking comes up, it's just like raises my hackles. Yeah. I don't know if they're connected, but yeah, yeah. But and the you know, the gentleman who created uh, the term what was it, Sean Ellis back in is back in two thousand ten. I don't think hacking was necessarily understood to be as yeah. bad as it is today. Um I mean, the idea is that you're is you're trying to break down silos. Um, yeah. but again, it becomes another term that there were other terms for this before. And and people were doing these things before and by just putting a, uh, you know, a sexy new term on it, like hacking yeah. and the growth and hacking and marketing is also like, oh, this guy's got something new. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so in terms of self-promotion, you know, he gets thumbs up in terms yeah. of in terms of the reality is that, you know, people have put together tiger teams and pilot teams yeah. and, and agile teams and, you know. Yeah. 
And and they're all about bringing, uh, I understand they're all about bringing uh, cross-collaboration, breaking down silos and having people like focus in on there's something we need to do differently to generate growth. What is that? Um, And I think the growth hacking term is particularly applied, at least what Sean Ellis was doing, was looking at customer journeys and seeing where we could fix things along the journey. So it's marketing, sales, it's product, it's support. It's, I mean, it's all the functions. Um, but that's hard. But but again, I mean, that, that kind it is of hard work. Is hard, but that, that isn't a hack. That's actually changing your, right. your marketing processes. Isn't and, that, it? and that's where I think the term hacking is inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just, I mean, it's just there to, to get somebody's attention. Ooh, wh- ooh what's that? When everybody describes like, oh, themselves as a ninja for a bit. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so what would what would you replace if somebody believes that they are a growth hacker? Well, we don't. We believe that they're just marketers or salespeople. So the growth thing can go. But what 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 part? What would you describe somebody who thinks that they're a hacker? Just somebody who's really good at demand gen or something. I would say um, <laughs> you've got to you've got to find a different. Uh, I don't know. It's just it's. Um, you know, you've got to sort of get down to reality and understand that you're just trying to be as good a marketer as possible. And yeah. you're trying to, I mean, I remember, you know, working in, in like when I was working in startups, um, it's like, you know, I would work I, and I would, I would collaborate with engineers and tech support and we would socialize mm-hmm. and everybody's together and you, you have a better understanding of the broader challenges that the whole company has and you're surrounding the customer because, mm-hmm. you know, you're only a several million dollar company and you're trying to like ramp up as quickly as possible to get this yeah. to, to some point where you're going to be successful or sold or whatever. Yeah. So, so it's not anything that is particularly um, new. And I, I don't know if this is my own perspective is the more we realize that a lot of what we're trying to do is not new. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to get really good at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the better yeah. off we'll be. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. And and I think that's going to be a common theme in some of the topics that we pick, right? Is that we're giving things names when actually it's just that we're refining the craft that's been around right. for so long. Right. And that's where the, that's where these become one hit wonders because, yeah. because they're, they're, they're exciting for a short period of time and yeah. people realize that there's, or, or, or as you were saying earlier, it's like they realize, oh, to be a growth hacker is not, is it, it takes a lot of hard work. It takes yeah. a lot of discipline and rigor. And it's like, oh boy, this is tough. <laughs> I got to get good at this, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, th- so, um, uh, okay, so you just mentioned one hit wonder, and I think um, from what I'm gauging from our conversation, that we believe that growth, and particularly when applied to the term growth hacker, is a one hit wonder. Growth marketing or growth hacking is one hit wonder. Um, you, uh, what, what do you have as a as a one hit wonder for us this week? I think you were looking at the charts think, of one hit. I wonders. think yeah, one of the top one hit wonders is uh, the song "Turning Japanese" by the Vapors <laughs> back in the, in the '80s. So, so I've, I've, I know my last one I think was from '69. So yeah, now I'm moving on, moving on to the '80s and. Yeah. Um, was interesting as I as I checked out the song is that yeah. the the band delayed the release of the song yeah. to be their second release because <laughs> they they didn't want to be a one hit wonder they wanted to have two hits but the first release or whatever and they, and and I don't even know what the name of the song was that they first released was not a hit. Turning <laughs> Japanese became or uh, became yeah. their one-hit wonder, and they have—I uh, don't know. 
<laughs> Nobody knows what, what they're off to these days. Nobody's saying, what are those guys doing today? <laughs> What's well, that, their latest album? I, I, also, I, I also really like the idea that we're talking about language and they were talking about turning Japanese. And I think that, um, yeah. so that's an excellent well, way to leave this. And there were a bunch of English guys who apparently were the thought they were, I don't know, it, I, I, I don't want to get too much into the psychology of the song, but they, yeah. they literally thought they were turning into something else. Yeah. And therefore, they picked Japanese. I mean, they could have said they're turning Sangolese or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it, uh, it was catchy. Yes, absolutely. And as is the term growth hacking, but we think it's a one-hit wonder. So off absolutely. it goes. Well, thank you very much, Jeff. And uh, yeah. I look forward to the next term we'll come up with and chatting to you next week. See you then. Sounds great. See you later. Yeah. I've got your picture. I've got your picture. I'd like a million of you all around myself. I want a doctor to take a picture so I can look at you from inside as well. You got me turning up and turning down. I'm turning in. I'm turning right. I'm turning Japanese. I think I'm turning Japanese. I really think so. Turning Japanese. I think I'm turning Japanese. I really think so. So there we have it. Prefixing Martin with growth is a one-hit wonder. And don't get us started on hacking. All to the sound stylings of Turning Japanese by The Vapors from 1980. And I love that Jeff did his research. Turning Japanese, a song about losing your identity, is a great analogy for the stuff we marketers come out with sometimes to describe our profession. And I suspect I'll have that song in my head all day. Please let us know what you think of this topic and our new segment. You know where to find us. We're at Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. This week's guest is one of my industry analyst and consulting chums, Kathy McKnight, VP of Strategy and Consulting and Chief Solver of Problems with the Content Advisory. With 20 years of global experience and expertise in content strategy, content management, intranets, marketing technologies, and customer experience at the Content Advisory, Kathy has helped dozens of companies realize their content marketing and communication objectives by building bridges across the leadership, content management, business process, and technology. Kathy is a frequent speaker at events such as Content Tech, Content Marketing World, CMO Summit Europe, and the Gilbane Conference on Content Technology and Customer Experience. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Kathy, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm very well, Ian. Thank you for having me on. Oh, you're very, very welcome. Um, and and Kathy, uh, what uh, what is it that you do for people that don't already know you? Um, I am the VP of Strategy and Consulting and Chief Solver of Problems with the Content <laughs> Advisory. So you know my colleague uh, Robert very well. You uh, your recurring clinking of glasses with him on your podcast. Yes. I will be meeting him later in the virtual Rockstar CMO bar. <laughs> excellent, excellent. One of these days we'll have to congregate the three of us. Oh, and in real life as well. I know that, oh, I know that, that yes. would be awesome. That would be awesome. Um, so um, uh, obviously, uh, I, uh, well, I, I actually knew you before I knew Robert, so I can't say that I know you through Robert. It's just that we know each other. Um, yes. Now, your background, as I know, and our listeners may not know, is firmly in content technology and in um, implement on the implementation side, the advisory side. Is that what you're doing now with um, with the content advisory? 
Yeah. So yeah, my, my career has been all over the place, always, <laughs> always in content in internal comms, external comms, um, website, all, you name it. But, um, with, with content advisory, we're, we do, um, a lot of the advisory, like I've always done or have recently done mm-hmm. with regards to helping organizations on their, um, content, more MarTech now that they're calling yeah. it, they're moving away from calling it content yeah. tech. Um, but also, uh, really focusing on the strategy side of things. So their, their engagement strategies, um, audience experience strategies, content strategies, but often that ties in, um, the technology side of things, which is great. Cause I, that's still where my, my brain yeah. goes. So it's, um, it's lovely to be able to stay in that, that field. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still old school calling it content technology. Clearly I've, I don't oh, think I've moved keep be- up with the acronyms. <laughs> I don't think I've moved beyond web content management, let alone everything else. <laughs> so, you so, might but, want to um, update that one. <laughs> I know. Um, but um, so uh, I've, I've seen, I've seen you speak a few times. Um, and when we in the before times, I think is what Robert calls it, when we used to go to events and see each other and yes. spend time with each other. Um, and uh, one of the presentations I saw you give a couple of years ago was you described um, I'll stop saying content technology. I'll talk marketing technology. And it's probably true of any uh, technology implementation. You talk about it in terms of building a house because you've got a reputation for, for for building on your house, haven't you? So, um, what? Um, how do? You, how does that analogy work when it comes to marketing technology? Yeah, I remember that conference. That was Munich during Oktoberfest. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. I think that was my trip. I had a, a, a an impromptu, impromptu daycation in St. John, Newfoundland, or yeah, St. John's, ah. Newfoundland, because uh, there was a medical emergency on my flight and we had to land. Oh my gosh. Fun time. See, all the things we're missing from not traveling. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but all the, all the, I mean, tomorrow, if somebody said to you, you're going to fly to Germany, but by the way, there's going to be a medical emergency on the plane, you're going to have to land somewhere. Would you jump on that plane? Just go, yes. I would be packed and at the airport <laughs> so fast. You have no idea. No, it, was, it was actually total sidebar. Sorry. We'll get back to your question in a second. Yeah. Um, it was a lovely day. We had to stop and we had to spend 12 hours there because the flight crew would be past the oh, um, hours. Their, their hours on yeah. the plane if we by the time they got it all sorted uh-huh. so i'd never actually been to st john's newfoundland which is lovely they have these things they're called jelly bean houses and it's right on the on the uh, ocean wow. so like lovely cliffs and stuff so i had an absolutely spectacular day um ted rubin was also on my flight he went to the hotel to sleep and he was after we were talking about it he was very sorry that he didn't join yeah. in on the on the tour that they arranged for us so wow. <laughs> Well, that's cool. Yeah. I should actually have said that. Um, and whereabouts am I speaking to you today, Kathy? Oh, um, I am in uh, Toronto, Ontario, which is in Canada. So yes. um, very nice. Yes, yes. firmly on lockdown, like much of the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah. I, I I keep doing this with my guests. I just start getting into the subject matter and, and forgetting to ask them about themselves and how they are. <laughs> but <laughs> there you go. So back to this uh, this this analogy of building the house, and I really liked it because you were talking about. Um, how that relates to putting together your marketing technology stack. Um, um, how, how does that analogy work for you? So for me, um, I really like it because it starts with a foundation, right? Mm. So we often want to jump to the building part, right? You mm. want to you want to gather all your materials, you want to get the wood and the and the two by fours and the the insulation and whatnot, and start building. And if you start building like that, your house isn't going to stand for very long, if at all. Yeah. So. I really like that the fact that it focuses on, you know, really, you want to know what your house 
is going to look like before you start building it, mm. building it, right? And before that, you have to have some ideas of what's possible. You know, you, you're not going to plan to build a 4,000 square foot home mm. on a 20 by 40 foot lot. You know, that's not a good plan. No t- plan debt planning department is going to approve that. Right. And the same thing goes for any kind of content project, whether you're talking about setting up a, a content center of excellence and changing how your content ops works, or whether you're talking about implementing um, a content management system or any other kind of MarTech, yeah. um, particularly at the enterprise level, you don't know if you have the approvals or the resources to do so. So mm-hmm. why would you start doing something that ultimately you're not going to be able to, to pull the trigger on and execute? So from my perspective, any successful initiative has to start with companies getting aligned and getting real about their goals, their visions, and the value proposition. You know, the company's going to want to know what's in it for them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, lo- I really like that sort of foundational thinking because, um, you know, you and I have been around the, well, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to say CMS again. You make me, uh, when I, when I use that term earlier on, the marketing technology. It's still very relevant. There's still content management systems. Everybody, people seem to be calling them DXPs, but yeah. you know, that's a whole other podcast yeah, conversation. It definitely is. And it's probably something for this, for later when we talk about the swimming pool. But anyway, the, um, uh, I, I, I really like, because you're absolutely right. People rush into buying tools and they rush into, um, doing, doing that implementation, um, really fast. What's, what do you think, um, where, when, when you're uh, advising clients, um, where do you walk them to in terms of where they should start in terms of diagnosing some of these issues that they have? I think it's turning the lens back on themselves, being really introspective and and lifting up, you know, where some of the bodies might be buried and, <laughs> and looking under the rock, so to speak. Yeah. And, you know, there are there are all we've all buried bodies in our lifetime, yeah. figuratively or literally for some. And no judgment. <laughs> um, but I, I think get older, Robert, was anything happened there? Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's it's about understanding what you have currently mm-hmm. um, and what works and what doesn't. We, we firmly do not believe in change for the sake of change. So if something's working, mm-hmm. you leverage that and you continue on with that and you look to correct the things that aren't working. Often organizations will, they focus on what they do well, right? Mm-hmm. So if they're really good at social, they keep investing in social, you know, the team gets bigger and they start doing more and they start maturing in that level. And what falls and lies fallow are the things that they're not so good at because they don't understand them. And it's, it's infinitely harder, right? right. So trying to, to bring everything up to a, a level that's yeah. similar. So you don't have these big troughs and valleys, right. um, of, of despair sort of thing, you know, these peaks of, of excellent where you're, you're really excelling and the customer, you know, along the customer experience journey, it's going swimmingly. You're getting, getting a lot of MQLs and SQLs and, and it's all great. And then, you know, they hit this trough of despair because, well, that's really hard and we don't really understand that. So, you know what, we'll work on that later. Let's keep doing the stuff we're good at. Yeah. Yeah. And that, but do you think that sometimes, um, uh, you know, we, we kind of, our behavior is led by what we're measured on, right? So when, when you're on that wave, aren't you, of, of increasing web hits and, oh my God, we've got loads of new followers and clicks and all that kind of stuff. Is, is that, do you think that's what's driving that behavior as well as, as people get, get good at stuff? Um, I think it is and it isn't. I, you know, we've all grown. I mean, my career has been all over the place, um, <laughs> always to do with content, but, you know, from internal comms, I was an SAP consultant. I've, uh-huh. I've, you know, implemented CMSs. Um, 
And so it's, it, you, you get into a rut, you know what you know, you mm-hmm. know, there's a saying, which again, another trope, you know, you know what you know, you know what you don't know, and then you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And until you start looking for those true unknowns, mm-hmm. so looking outside of, you know, not just what your organization does, but outside and what other successful ones are doing to identify, yeah. hey, you know what, we should be doing more of that. I think that's one of the real true values that that TCA brings to our clients is yeah. that we've had the privilege and I and I mean that sincerely of working with some amazing organizations from names that everybody would recognize mm-hmm. to huge massive companies that I had never heard of until yeah. we got engaged with them yeah um and we bring that wealth of information to our clients, right? Yeah. So we we were able to say, you know, this worked here. I'm not saying that's going to work for you, but yeah. we've seen it work, and this is how it works. So it's 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 getting the help. And a lot of times, in, there's people within the organization who have some kind some of those insights. But it's about talking to you know, it's that cross pollination between teams. It's mm. not breaking down the silos. I am I I never <laughs> say that. I, you will never hear me say that. But it's about making the information and the data within them permeable. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've heard that as well. That silo busting is is you can't do that because we naturally silo as as people around our teams and around our departments and stuff like that. It's about making them porous, isn't it? It's about enabling them to to share what do you think is the so when you're when you're looking at all, all of these organizations you're taking that kind of holistic view of their their content strategy and and their content technologies or their marketing technologies where are you seeing the gaps i mean without naming names where where do you see some trends around what people should be paying attention to right now uh data yeah um i mean it's a surprising talking- answer actually I know, isn't it? You'd, yeah. you'd think we'd have our, our arms around that by now. We've been talking about it for so long. Yeah. Um, but again, I think one, companies are overwhelmed by the amount of data yeah. they have access to and that they're collecting, that they don't know what to do with it. Um, I have always been a proponent of, you know, make sure your 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 goals are uh, smart, mm-hmm. um, the acronym, and start with a few. So, you know, what are you measuring? Why are you measuring? Yeah. Who's going to own it? And what are you going to do about it? Yeah, yeah. And you need to be able to answer those four questions for everything that you're keeping track of. And sometimes the answer is, we just want to see where it's going. And that's okay. If, but you've got, to, you've got to acknowledge that. Yeah. Right? And there still needs to be ownership and there still needs to be a recognition. Okay, there's nothing to action on it for now. Yeah. Because um, you yeah. can't... You, you can't, you can't act on it all. So you got to know what's important. Uh, that's really good because it isn't, yeah, and I, I like the nuance there. It isn't actually access to data or the collection of data we have a problem with. It's what do you do with it and are you collecting the right things? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. yeah. Yeah, the lack, of, the lack of insight. And so so that, and, um, and, and is that something you're really seeing that's common around like big and small um, organizations you're working with? Yes. Um, what we, we really try and encourage is that they, that the teams be more data driven. Yeah. So, you know, to your point, you know, and this was going to get into, um, my, my swimming pool rant, but <laughs> you know, you've got to, you've got to look at, um, why you're doing things. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So understand what the purpose is and you know, that for most companies now has to start with audience. Yeah. 
who, you know, who are you talking to? Why are you talking to them? What makes them a good, you know, target for what you're creating? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, back to your question about um, technology and gaps. And I think the other one is getting your, getting their hands around what they have, mm-hmm. you know, so understanding what content they have available to them. And again, tying it back to the data, what works? Yeah. I, and um, I think that would be um, a whole nother topic um, for, for another interview, because I think one of the things that I, I'm curious about um, is the gap between one, what capability an organization has has purchased or, is, or can do, but isn't leveraging. And the other one is really where, where organizations maturity is compared to where the industry of tools thinks the the industry is at do you see what i mean like the 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 vendors and the analysts seem to be off solving these amazing problems out in the out in the future and yet in many organizations the problem is is far more fundamental to them but it's actually a simpler problem Yes, um, you hit it bang on there because one of the things that as an analyst mm-hmm. um, working with the vendors and the agencies that they rely or, or come to us, the, the smart ones do, <laughs> is, you know, here's our roadmap. Are yeah. we aligned with what customers are, one, looking for and yeah. two, capable of? And there are many in the industry who are light years ahead of 90% of their existing as yeah. well as future audience. So, yeah. you know, scaling it back and and sh- great show them the vision because everybody buys the vision. They don't buy what's today. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't go out looking for a car, yeah. you know, that has only, you know, circuit 2018 availability and functionality Mm -hmm. you know you're okay what's 2021 bringing what's 2022 bringing that's what i want yeah that's um yes and uh, i'm just realized the time i need to get on with with my questions here Uh, one of the um it's tremendous kathy and i think we'll definitely need to probe into some of these whether i press record when we do it or not but uh always fascinating chatting to you and one of the things i wanted to pick up on because i've heard you talk about this before is um what 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 do you think is the important element in when you're di- diagnosing these problems? And I think I probably know the answer, but anyway, um, is it the technology that that uh, that um, these organisations are purchasing, or is it the way the technology has been implemented, which is the most important thing? The latter, one hundred percent. The latter. You can, you know, I've, I've, I'm sure this will, you know, be repeat for you, but yeah. you can, you can have a mediocre or even poor technology. And if yeah. you have the right team, yeah. um, an implementation team that understands what you're trying to do, what the long-term game is, and really understands the solution and how to make it sing, yeah. you're, you're going to end up with a good implementation. It may not be great because just you know, by virtue yeah. of what the technology offers, yeah. but you could buy top of the line, mm-hmm. um, you know, the best, what's considered quote unquote, the best out there. And yeah. if you have a team who doesn't understand your business goals and the way the rest of your organization works and how the rest of your technology installation works, yeah. you're in for a world of hurt. And we've seen it over yeah. and over and yeah. over again. I, I, my, um, my um, contribution to this, a particular topic is because I used to be in pre-sales as, as I think you know mm-hmm. years and years ago when I started my career back in you know the day and I used to I used to um, I, I worked for a few um, content management vendors and uh, 
and I I went from one vendor to the other vendor and we were obviously selling to a vendor that I'd worked for and the client was complaining that this particular platform couldn't do what they wanted to do and they were looking to switch and I knew full well that their current platform could actually do what they wanted to do it's just it was so poorly implemented that they just couldn't figure out how to make it work and they couldn't couldn't do it. So I had to sit in this meeting with a straight face going, yes, we can solve that problem for you with this brand new technology, thinking to myself, well, you know, if they implement it the same way, <laughs> it's not going to help. So uh, I, I love that point from you, Kathy. Thank you very much. So no I and I think final just question. one more point on that. I think companies uh, are getting smarter because we are having people, organizations come to us now and not say, I need a new, you know, insert mm-hmm. MarTech here. It's, can you help us understand what we have and how do we make the yeah, most out of it? Yeah, yeah. I think that's, I, I mean, I'm glad to hear that, to be honest, Kathy, because um, so many, I think, organizations overbought and and then and then haven't really realized that if they if they take a fresh look at what they have and maybe maybe re-implement what they have it's it's going to be as good as the as spending millions on on the procurement process of something new. Yeah, yeah, no, good. All right. Well, I'm going to get to our final question, Kathy, and you did allude to it just a moment ago. Uh, we have a regular feature here on Rockstar CMO called the Swim Pool, our portal to hell for all the BS, snake oil, and misplaced hype around this marketing craft we love. What would you throw in there? Well, I think, oh, you see, we brought up DXP and I want to change my answer now, but I think I'll stick, I'll, I'll stick with what I had originally thought was the whole concept that more is better when it comes to content. Mm-hmm. More is better is rarely true. Okay. It might be true when it comes to like ice cream or good wine, um, <laughs> but not when we're talking about content, right? We have so many clients that just create content willy nilly. It's just, you know, piece after piece after piece. And this is partially due to how they're measured. Like you mentioned, right? They create a a quantitative based plan at the beginning of the year. They're going to do four podcasts and six blog posts and 20 tweets and one one white paper, et cetera, per quarter. So that's what they spend their time doing, you know, recording the podcast and writing the blog posts. Um, But they don't check to see if anybody's working if, if any of it's working, right? So is anybody listening to the podcast? Are the yeah. blog posts being read, shared? Are yeah. the calls to actions being triggered? Yeah. You know, how many MQLs and SQLs are resulting from the effort? Because while, you know, mm-hmm. it's not the be all end all, it, those are important measurements to have as a marketing yeah. organization. Yeah, I've said- so- that's a Go brilliant ahead. thing. No, I, I love I love that. Um, uh, we'll definitely be throwing that in swimming pool because um, I've actually had that conversation where um, uh, where somebody was talking to me about creating a, a content um, function within a business and wanting to measure that function by how much they produced. And it's like, no, what you need to, f- and it's a much harder metric to find, but what you want to do is find a metric around relevance or a, me- a, me- a me- or about how engaging something is or how, how, how it's contributing to the business bottom line. If you measure people on the amount they produce, they'll produce a lot. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's all they're going to do. Right. Yeah, and it's more yeah. about it's about producing targeted content, yeah. making sure it gets to where it needs to be at the right time in front of the right people yeah. um, for visibility. Because, yeah. you know, the more content that's targeted is the more visibility it's going to get. And it, it never works the other way around. Because you're competing with your own audience with your own content. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's excellent. So we'll throw too much content into the Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool. And thank you very much for your time, Kathy. Um, When uh, people spin the dial on the interwebs, where will they find you? 
on the regular interweb or the dark web. No. <laughs> um, There's more to you, Kathy, than meets the eye. <laughs> I'm in the usual spaces like LinkedIn. My Twitter handle is at Kathy McKnight, all one word. Don't mm-hmm. forget the K in McKnight. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, uh, contentadvisory.net is our website where Robert and I do a lot of um, blog posts, rants, raves. I just did one on, I don't know if you saw the Sitecore announcement this week. Yes. 1.2 so. billion. And and the press release said nothing. Did yeah. you read it? it was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know that I've got chums over there, so I was very interested. Yeah, so um, I did a little rant on that. So that's on our if anybody wants to check yeah, it out. I, I, I should imagine um, people that listen to us probably be interested in your view on that. So I'll include a link to that in the show notes as well as, I mean, contentadvisory.net already gets a link in the show notes because I talk to Robert every week. Um, so um, thank you very much, Kathy. It's actually Friday evening here. And, and um, so I wish you a very nice weekend. And, thank you. And thank you for joining me on Rockstar CMO. Thanks for having me anytime. Cheers, Kathy. Bye-bye. Love chatting to Kathy. Good to be reminded of seeing her speak in Munich and hanging out at Oktoberfest. Hopefully get back to doing those things again soon. Sticking to the drinking theme but keeping it virtual, it's Friday evening and time for me to join our mutual chum and make my way to the Rockstar CMO virtual bar where I hope to find my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. Uh, it is uh, nice to see you here in the bar. Um, and yeah, let's um, let's drink. <laughs> uh, it's been a, it's been yeah it's it's been a couple of weeks of fun here um, yes. in the U.S. So here's a drink that we have, um, and and this is going to sound weird. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I I fully admit this at the top, <laughs> but one of the things that I forgot to do because of everything going on in the transfer transfer of 2020 into 2021 was one of the things I like to do is make wishes for the year. You know, I do my journaling and I set my goals and I do all that sort of thing. We also make wishes, right? You know, sort of like, I wish this will happen. I wish that would happen. Yeah. And one of the things that, um, my family and I do is, is, is that we make our, what we call our five new year's wishes. Um, and so we got the chance to do that. And so it was, uh, I thought we would do it over a cocktail mm-hmm. and here's the cocktail. Um, you basically mix, and this is, I know it's going to sound weird, <laughs> um, but you mix five different tequilas enough to make one healthy shot. You don't get five shots. I mean, let's not. <laughs> I'm sure you do in the one, house. <laughs> yeah. One healthy shot um, of a mix of five different and, and stick with mm-hmm. one type of tequila. I, I went with a reposado here. Um, and then each little part, you know, the 20% that you're doing um, of each reposado represents one of your wishes. Ah, then you mix it with, and this is also going to sound weird. Um, uh-huh. I don't even know if you can get this, um, it, much less would you have it in your bar. Uh-huh. But well, one of the things I'm really that one. <laughs> enjoying um, over this the last yeah. six months, as it has become legal here in 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 Los Angeles, are these wonderful cannabis uh, focused drinks. Oh. 
Um, and there is a, a grapefruit rosemary one. It's like a spar- almost like a sparkling wine, if you will, mm-hmm. um, or a sparkling juice. It tastes, and it's got a tiny amount of. Can- I mean, I can drink a whole one and not feel anything. So, lest your listeners sort of think it's you know over the top here, you know, it's mm-hmm. not. Um, and we do that because you know, basically 2020 is gone and we're, you know, it's, we're going to get high on 2021. basically. <laughs> so that's the drink, right? It's these five reposados mixed with this grapefruit, rosemary cannabis uh-huh. drink. That's a uh-huh. bit of a sparkling drink. And it's, it's, it's fantastic. The taste of it is just lovely. And it's, and of course it's, you know, it's, it, you know, you, you have one of those and you're done. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sure you are. I've, uh, I don't think any of that, half, uh, most of that is illegal here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, the entire I've, drink is illegal. Yeah. I feel I probably should do a warning at the beginning of the show. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't, don't, don't do this at home, kids. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let me attempt with my, um, my completely legal uh, um, in this country. I know that you're not doing anything illegal there but um uh, replicate that here so um you did you put ice in that uh yes indeed yes there uh, is ice in that, yeah. splendid and um the five uh, what i'm going to do because i don't I, I seem to i seem to miss my reposado tequila again on the desk this week so uh, I, I, all i found really is some hendrix gin so let's open that up and this would work say- well with a gin i have to say this Ooh. This it, sparkling um, sounds, juice. Yeah, it sounds good. Sounds good. I wonder if I, I'm, a bit of a different take on a tonic. Yeah. Uh, yes. Well, um, let me slot. What do you say? Five little amounts. Of, oh, oh, I've stuck in probably ten. <laughs> a good slog of that. Right. Let's go with the. Um, I'm, I'm just going to go with um, some. Uh, what have I got here? Uh, I have some um, cucumber tonic. Fever tree, completely and utterly legal. Kids, you can drink this to your heart's content without there gin. You <laughs> Let me have a sip of that. Oh, that's very nice. That's very nice. And um, what did we call that, Robert? Uh, you know, all I've been calling it is the five New Year's wishes, right? Yes. So it's, um, you know, wishing for a great new year. Yes, and I, I definitely would wish for a great new year on one of these. This is delicious, and I could drink these every week. Thank you, Robert. Um, so we are, are. Are we making our wishes, and whereabouts are we going to be doing that? Robert? Well, you know, here's the thing. I, I, I have, and this is another place I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, given that it is the dog days of winter here. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> I like the way that California has dog days of winter. I mean, well, you know, I mean, we, 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 have, our, we have our moments. <laughs> we have our moments. Um, and sorry, I, I, I'll shut up. <laughs> I think, and this is a place I have not been, that I've always wanted to go, and perhaps you've been there. Mm-hmm. Is along, you know, I don't know if Khan is the place to go, but basically somewhere along the coast of uh, of France. Yes. Um, and I've never been, and I've I've always wanted to go, and so yeah. that seems like a place for this kind of drink. 
Yes, it certainly does. Although I'm not sure you're going to be able to get that mixer there either, but I'm not sure. <laughs> so we might, we might, it might be more of an Amsterdam thing. <laughs> That's true. That is true. That is so true. Uh, we're, we're surfing these, these. I presume that we're overlooking the, the wonderful boats, the beautiful sea, some sort of uh, wonderful little French um, cafe, maybe on the pavement. Um, Perhaps. Uh, yeah, right. Like, like along. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Overlooking the water, warm day, lovely. And um, we're we've um, you've recovered from your jet lag, and the fact that uh, you've managed to sneak a bottle of this drink into the France. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what will we be discussing uh, once we've talked to you through customs? Well, you know, an idea that I've been thinking about. I, I don't know if you've noticed. Mm-hmm. But um, over the last month, I'm going to call it two months, um, there's been a frenzy, and in fact, one news article even called it a frenzy, of investment firms buying rock star music catalogs. Mm. Um, Bob Dylan was sort of the tipping point, right, that happened yeah. about a month ago or so, um, yeah. where Bob Dylan sold his entire back catalog of songs um, to um, Universal Music Group for $300 million. Um, and then um, there was a couple of others that happened. And literally just um, uh, a week and a half or two weeks ago, um, you had, uh, uh, you, you basically had KKR, an investment firm, a private equity firm, buying Ryan Tedders, who probably his name doesn't mean much to you, but he's a producer who... Mm-hmm. Um, basically produced folks like Beyonce and, you know, other R and B stars and has his whole music catalog and sold it for a hundred million dollars. And, you know, so these are artists who have sort of cashed in on their back catalog of content. Mm -hmm. Um, and it brought up an interesting question for me, which is how much is our catalog worth? Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. if I went back and valued, um, you know, one of them, by the way, one of my favorite blogs of all time, it was a little blog called hovering over the back button. <laughs> and if so I went I... back and, and looked at that content, or if I look back at rockstar CMO and the back catalog mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. what's it worth? Right. It's worth something. Tell you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> worth something. Um, and you know, and, and, and the way that I like to phrase that question is I said, you know, to, and I'd actually asked this of somebody, I said, you know, look at your competitor, right? Your, the the competitor whose blog or webinar program or content program you are just enamored with, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the Red Bull or the craft or the Lego or the, you know, whoever your, your competitor would be that you would just, you, you drool over their content library, how much would you pay for it? And, and how much would they pay for years? And that is a really interesting question. I think that is going to become more and more relevant as the other thing that we've really noticed over the last uh, couple of months is the number of acquisitions have grown in the space of brands buying media companies, not yeah. to mention the sort of the, the, the last one that we just talked about on our podcast, um, yeah. a week or two ago was Wyndham hotels, um, 
buying travel and leisure magazine. And, you know, so these back catalogs of content from brands are, I think, are going to become a very interesting asset for businesses as they start getting valued. And one of the things that I think as marketers we need to be cognizant of is how are we managing that back catalog and and leveraging the value that it might potentially have. Yeah, no, that's, um, yeah, I mean, that is really interesting because once, I mean, we're obviously uh, not exactly writing Bob Dylan songs here, but um, I presume somebody is listening to it and has a modicum of enjoyment of what we're talking about and therefore it's got some value to them. Um, please uh, leave in the comments how much you think it's worth. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, and I so on a sliding scale, you are worth something, right? Right. You know, it's the... Yeah. Um, you know, so if you go and look at how economists operate with the value of companies or industries or, you know, assets basically at a broad level, right? You tend to look at what they call kinetic value, which is the value of that asset based on performance, right? Yeah. You know, in a marketplace, right? So. Yeah. If we're thinking of kinetic value, it's you know, of a business. It's how much revenue did it produce, how much you know, whatever its cost of sales, yeah. uh, et cetera. Right. So you look on its performance in the marketplace, and you go, how does it perform? And you associate some amount of value with that to yeah. if you want to purchase it. Yeah. But then they also economists will talk about you know, and this is a sliding scale, just to your point, potential value. Mm. And that's different, right? That's the multiple that you would put on value based on things that are not as tangible, right? Rarity or the quality of it or the potential for what a particular buyer could do with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's in the eye of the beholder, right? So some, in other words, something that is a, let's say a marketing-based podcast or blog or something like that is probably has more potential value to me than it does to someone who's in sports or in banking or something like that. Um, and so that's where we start taking the two aspects of value, right? How one, how is our catalog perform over time? And, you know, you can look at a Bob Dylan or you can look at a, you know, a, you know, a, 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 uh, Ryan Tedder's catalog and go, great. How did those songs perform? Were they number one hits? You know, did they sell a lot of copies, et cetera, and you can associate a value. But if I'm buying Bob Dylan's catalog and I'm Universal Music Group and I go, hmm, the potential value there for me is I have movies, I have, I can license this to, I have video games, I have all sorts of ways I can monetize that that value in a different way than anybody else can. Well, it's worth more. Yeah. And both of those aspects are worth considering is, as we think about our white papers and webinars and email newsletters, et cetera. Yeah. Right. From maybe they didn't, maybe we weren't good at the value of creating marketing, or maybe we were okay or mediocre yeah. at delivering value to our own sales efforts of yeah. our webinars and our email newsletters and our educational university that we launched and all that kind of stuff. But maybe somebody else, the potential value, maybe somebody else can make much yeah. better hay with it. And so it's that value we need to, to, to recognize. It's not just in how many leads did it produce. It's also in its rarity and its quality, et cetera, that can deliver potential value to someone else. 
Yeah, I think this is a fact. I know it's it, not a concept to think about right now, but yeah, it, I think it I've, will become increasingly important. Yeah, it's fascinating because, um, well, there's two parts this um, in my head. One of those is um, that normally um, people um, pe- people buy these things for the audience and not for the content. So I think that you know when you think about a, a Bob Dylan back catalogue, you're thinking about the content. You're not, and then you're thinking about how you can, you know, you apply that to to the audience. Whereas I think that in our business, we only think about the audience. We don't think about the value of the content, how we might be able to make a better use of that asset than the previous owner did. So I think that's interesting. The that's other right. thing, I think about it from this. So, so we've we've taken great pleasure at laughing at the certain <laughs> the Quibi service. Yeah, um, which you know, is obviously, you know, going under and didn't build an audience at all, really, yeah. and, and really struggled with their financial model and all of that. Yeah. And it looks like, I think it's Hulu um, or... Roku. Um, ...is going to purchase all of that yeah. content. And there's a, va- you know, there's a potential value that they have there, yeah. right? For that catalog of content, because yeah. they can make better use of it for their audience, right? It becomes yeah. a their particular usage of it gives them a bit of a unique uh, valuation on that content. Yeah. And then the other point I was thinking as you were talking is um, something I heard from one of your chums, Andy Crestadina, who was talking about if you're writing, is um, you, if you're writing a blog or doing something like, think about the body of work. So if we are intentional about building something of value from the start, um, like we're building our own Bob Dylan back catalogue and we think about the value of what we're creating, that changes your mindset, I guess, from being, um, you know, creating these one-off little things to actually thinking about what's this body of work going to be worth after two years of me, me working at it. So that's a different way of thinking about it, I guess, with that same thought, do you think? That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Which is how much more valuable is it if it's a true body of yeah. work? rather yeah. than just an amalgam of assets right yeah yeah and then um and then i had a third thought which has just escaped my mind because i got a bit distracted there um by what by, by what you were saying but um so um oh yes i know uh, the um <laughs> also i'm thinking that i mean if you've ever tried to search for a podcast or look around the, the podcasting um sort of ecosystem what's around and you look for a content marketing podcast as I was earlier on and the top one is like four years old and stuff and I think that in the media space that we play in with podcasts but also as b2b marketers trying to capture the attention of the same audience there's going to be a roll-up on this isn't there but other people are going to start taking that attention and, and unless we value our content and unless we start rolling up these things into something that can compete with these big guys. Am I making any sense? You and are. We're going to need to understand the value of that. Uh, those you lessons. are. It, it, well, I think the, the 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 lesson there is to make a cog- uh, conscious decision about it, right? Yeah. In other words, I think what happens so often now is that we we um, you know we look at content as simply a byproduct of something else we're doing, yes. right? Yes. Um, and, 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 and what ends up happening is, is that as a byproduct of sales or as a byproduct of, of, you know, uh, marketing or, or PR, or, you know, comms or, you know, whatever, whatever the function in the business is. And this content that we create is just the stuff that falls on, you know, 
you know, the cutting room floor, basically, right? It's just, yeah. it's just byproduct, basically. Yeah, you know? yeah. Some of it's useful and some of it's not. And if it helps me do this thing in this one time for this one, yeah. th- you know, great. But otherwise, yeah. eh, it just, you know, th- there's the only reason we're hanging on to it is to because it's digital and it's easy to hang on to, right? Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it's just stacks of, you know, how many businesses still have stacks of their old magazine stacked away in a, you know, back closet somewhere, right? Yeah. And the value of that is n- not at all, right? They, they, that they would look at it. And yeah. the reason is because it was considered a byproduct when it was first created. It wasn't considered a strategic product or a strategic asset yeah. for the business. And so it was never treated that way. So thus, it will never be that way. Yeah. And so it's a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of a, I don't know, catch 22 is the right way to phrase it. But it's, it's if we don't treat it as a strategic approach, it will never be one. And, and so, so if, if we want, if we desire and want to make a conscious choice to make our content and body of work in that content an asset to the business that's worth valuing, well, then we have to treat it as such. Yeah, yeah. No, I love this. I mean, I've, I've so much, so much um, follow on uh, from, from this. I think this is a fascinating topic, but basically uh, I need to... Uh, finish this 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 drink and this conversation that's splendid thank you robert to think about the value of our content in that way is 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 fascinating um and also to make the point that you were rather kindly referring to my blog with hovering over the back button thank you very much and to rockstar cma for the listeners that don't aren't aware of those wonderful publications um so um robert um and um you've um talking of podcasting and having your own media publication uh, you and joe are back to weekly and i mentioned it last week of of your podcast where can people find that well thank you for asking um you know the podcast itself can be found at at our little show notes and our little home on the internet is Mm -hmm. a shiny little website that we have called thisoldmarketing.site um and the dot site domain is brought to us by our wonderful little sponsor uh radix which we're which we're happy to have partnered with for them Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, yeah, we're publishing weekly now. And so we're on a weekly cadence every Friday morning. We're, we're there with a new episode. Excellent. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where do they find you? Robert? Oh, I'm everywhere. <laughs> I'm just everywhere. Um, you can't not find me on the internet. Uh-huh. I am sadly, um, dominant on the front page of Google for the search of Robert Rose. Um, <laughs> I'm sure makes the other Robert Roses out there so annoyed. Yeah. Um, but uh, I am on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. Would love to connect with people there, obviously. And then, of course, our little website is contentadvisory.net. And I will, of course, include all those links in the show notes. Thank you very much, Robert. And will I see you in the bar next week? You will indeed. I look forward to it. Thank you, Robert. So what's your content worth? Certainly that bit of content from Robert is worth a thought and a great way to think about our content marketing. So that's a wrap on episode 46 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thanks again to my friends, Jeff, Kathy, and Robert for joining me. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and driving along with us. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you like my guests, Please click their links, follow them, take a look at their work and share it. I really appreciate their time. Of course, 
I'll include all their links in the show notes at rockstarcmo.com forward slash podcast or our shiny new podcast website, rockstarcmo.fm, where you can also find all our previous episodes. So, does the world need another effing Martin podcast? Please let me know what you think. Leave a review, subscribe, share, get in touch, or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff and I will be discussing another one-hit wonder or wonder war. I'm chatting to Jeff Swan, business development expert from RevUp90. And as we are still in lockdown, I hope to find my friend Robert Rose in our virtual Rockstar CMO bar. Until then, I've been your host, Ian Truscott, founding editor of rockstarcmo.com, and I hope you'll again join us next week here at Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.